Greetings everybody and welcome to Agape Fellowship where we study the word of God verse by verse. We are currently studying Matthew's Gospel and in the previous episodes we have gone through an introduction and portraits of different people from the genealogy of Jesus. We also studied the fulfillment of prophecy regarding the Messiah and its relevance to our lives. In this episode we will learn about the circumstances surrounding the birth of Jesus. I invite you all to listen carefully as God reveals his plan for all mankind and it's our prayer that you will be blessed by the word. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Matthew really doesn't tell us about the birth of Jesus like Luke does. In the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, it talks about the background, a lot of things on the background, um, including who was reigning, who was the governor, who was the uh, prefect. All these things are given in the book of Luke or the gospel of Luke. Here it goes straight in to, let's get to the point. Uh, who is this Jesus? So he's very straight and, you know, going straight to the point. Matthew instead tells us where Jesus came from, and it tells the story through the eyes of Joseph. It says, after his mother was betrothed to Joseph, there are, I don't know if you know, um, there are four steps uh, in the Jewish marriage tradition. Four stages. The first stage is what? Betrothal. What is a betrothal? Betrothal is actually a binding uh, contract and it could only be undone by a divorce. It's not like the marriage of today. A betrothal is an engagement but at a very serious level of engagement where if you have to break it off it has to be a letter of divorce. And it has to be with a proper ground. You cannot just say, oh, I don't like this woman, this man anymore, so I'm going to do it. No, it must have legal proper ground in order for such a bride or groom um, to uh, break off. And one of them is that they have to be pure. The bride has to be pure. And that's what we see here in this one. And the second part of it is the young man has to pre prepare a marriage contract. It's called a ketubah. It's called a marriage contract or a covenant which he presents to the bride. Now, the pre presentation of the bride also includes something called the bride price, which is appropriate in the society. In other words, the, the groom or the, the groom-to-be had to come with a certain amount of money to buy the bride uh, from the family, or in other words, would have to pay for all the expenses that the parents um, spent on raising this young woman until that stage where he was going to be married. It's called a bride price. Now, while I'm saying these things, please keep in mind behind the scene about our salvation story. It's very important for you to keep that in the back of your mind, because if not, you wouldn't get the whole story. here. So keep that in the back of your mind. Um, so, first of all, the ketubah, the contract has to be prepared, and then 
the uh, there's got to be a bright price has to be agreed on and then the the man to come would have to bring that bright price the second stage of that betrothal is an acceptance here's what they do at the acceptance to see if the betrothal is accepted the proposal is accepted the young man would pour out a cup of wine for his bride to be and would wait to see if she would drink from that cup it's called the cup of the covenant it's a covenantal cup and it would be up to the bride to drink from that cup and if she drinks the cup what she's saying is she's accepting the proposal and they would have been betrothed you're the, saying that the reason i'm single is my parents refused to pay it up yeah. <laughs> that's sorry for sorry for you nels <laughs> <laughs> The young man would then give gifts to his beloved and then he would leave her to go home. The young man, the young woman would have to wait for him to return and bring her to his house. Typically that covenant waiting period, the betrothal waiting period is about a year. Uh, some could be longer, some could be shorter, but on an average in the Jewish family, it's approximately a year where the bride waits for the groom to come after the betrothal. She's got gifts in her hands and the price money has been paid for her. So she is now, she belongs to this new family. The third part of the engagement or the marriage ceremony is called the wedding chamber or the hoopah or the uh, I think I'm pronouncing it right, C-H-U-P-P-A, Hoopa, I guess. So before leaving, the young man would announce this, and listen to this very clearly. I go to prepare a place for you. And when I have prepared the place, I will come and return for you when it is ready. Those are the words that the groom would say. Does that resonate with you? It does with me. Yeah. Uh, that those are the exact words he says. The young man would return to his father. This is what he does. The young man would return to his father's house and build for himself a room. It's called the honeymoon room because they would have, they're set, setting themselves as a separate family. This is what is symbolized by the kupa or the canopy. Now, if you go to a Jewish wedding, you'd see there's a canopy under which the wedding takes place. That canopy is is a symbolism of that room that has been prepared for them. And the, he would come, the young man would return to his father, build this thing, and then he would come, this, this canopy would symbolize that that room has been prepared. Now, before the father permits the son to go and bring his bride, he would go and inspect the room to see if it was perfect. He would have to wait for the father's thumbs up. And typically what happens for the father's thumbs up, is not just the father, the family rabbi, the synagogue, the rabbi from the synagogue would come and inspect the house to see if it is worthy, if it's high quality enough to have this young woman come and live. So it's only when the father says, go get your bride, that the young man would go and get his bride. So remember when Christ, when the, the disciples asked him, are you going to restore the kingdom? He said, that's for the father to know. He wasn't kidding. When Christ Jesus said, that's for the father to know. Not even I know. What was he saying? Those are exactly the things that take place in the Jewish wedding. 
and we've did discussed it. Did you say he went and he got his wife and brought her home before he got married? That's correct. He would build a home. He no, would build a said, room. He would build a room uh, for his wife to be. But if he went and he got her, I mean, isn't that? No, no, he wouldn't get her. He, the wife is waiting in her house while he has gone to his house to build his room over there. Yeah, but you said that the next step would be he'd go and get her, and then he's talking about the wedding. Be... Yeah, at the wedding. In order for the wedding, the consummation, before the consummation takes place, before the bride is brought into the house, there's this inspection step that has to take place. So, so pretty much when he brings her, he, he, he brings her to the wedding at the, at the same place. The wedding, correct, exactly. The, the, that event, there's a, an event that takes place before they occupy the room, but that is, yeah. that's, there's a certain event that takes place. But before that event is even authorized, the father has to approve that the room is in good shape, that the house is not a little shack that a ADHD fellow just built for his wife to come. No, it's got to be high quality and it's got to match the family's values and everything else. So that has to take place. And once the father says thumbs up and the rabbi says, yes, go, then the young man would go to get his wife. So if the date, um, so when, uh, uh, when somebody asked the, the groom, uh, the young man, when is this wedding going to be? What he would typically say is only the father knows. Because the ultimate authority for when he would allow his young son to go bring his groom, his bride, is rest entirely up to the father. Not up to the young man because the father has to approve that building that is being built. And like I said, it typically takes a year for the young man to labor to build that home. Uh, once it's done, that's when he goes, brings them, brings the bride and has the ceremony and then goes and occupies this room. In the meanwhile, while this is happening at the young man's house, the bride would be making herself ready. She would be purifying herself, beautifying herself for this big event. It is during this time uh, she would wear a veil when she went out to show that she has been spoken for. So once the, um, the betrothal has taken place, she puts on a veil so that the others would know, the rest of the world would know that she's been spoken for, that she's been betrothed. And now she's just waiting the consummation. And then finally is the wedding day. The wedding day, when the wedding chamber is ready, the bridegroom would go and bring his bride. He could do this at any time so that the bride had to make special arrangements. It was also the custom for a bride to keep a lamp and her veil and other things besides her bed. In other words, she could come any moment, so they had to be ready with the lamps, with oil, and all of those things ready to go so that when the groom comes that she can leave. And her bridesmaid would also be waiting and would have their oils and their lamps filled and ready to go also because it's not usually this young woman herself, but she would have helpers, bridesmaids who would go with her, the helpers would go with her uh, to this family. 
When the groom and his friends get close to the bridegroom's house, they would shout. And they would blow a trumpet or a shofar to tell her that the groom is, is right around the corner. That's the announcement. When that trumpet is blown, is the announcement made the, bride, the groom is here. So no, just a, like a, a surprise party? This is, <laughs> they have to be ready. They have to be ready. The groom has so, to be, so the bride has to be ready. So he goes around and he tells everybody the wedding's going to be in this day, but he doesn't know. No, 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 no. The wedding cannot be on a day until the father says so. It doesn't, hasn't the father already approved it? Well, between the approval, he's, is he letting everybody know or is he coming to get the bride? He's probably going to go to get his bride. And the father, I'm sure, will have others that he's going to invite to come to that program. But he would bring the, uh, the groom is gone to get the bride. So groom and his friends go over to the home of the bride. And once he's around the corner, he blows the trumpet. And the, uh, the bride would be ready to come to join with him to go to his home. I think and, uh, yeah. it was right. It sort of does happen as a surprise. Uh, it's not, there, there is no heads up to the bride. No heads up. Now, if that's what Len, yeah. you know, Nels, you were yeah. asking, there's no heads up. Yeah. They would have to be ready. So that is the event that takes place. And then well, here's what happens on the wedding day. There's a wedding party uh, that at the father's house. Um, the newlyweds enter the wedding chamber and there's a seven day of honeymoon. Um, and then it's after that the marriage is consummated and then there's even bigger marriage supper and a party that goes on for a long time. They know how to party it up. When the couples emerge from that seven days of honeymoon uh, in their new home, uh, there would be a lot of congratulations and then comes the marriage supper, marriage feast. That is what happens. Now, I said to keep all of our salvation story in the back of our minds because this is what the whole story is about. Now, you understand how closely, we'd spoken this in the past also, but you understand how closely the story of our salvation, him, we are waiting, all of that is so closely related, resembles this wedding feast, uh, the wedding program, uh, the four-step wedding program that the Jews go through. It is not a Gentile event. So if you're looking for Gentile theories, Gentile perspectives, ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen that way. It's going to happen this way, exactly the way that I just mentioned, because that's the model that God uses. So if we want to be ready for the groom, when the groom comes and we have to be ready, then it's not the Gentile model. Forget all of that because it's not going to work. This is the model that's going to work because God's using this time clock. Jesus is using this particular time clock. Remember when he said, I go away, I prepare a place for you. Now you understand why he was saying those things. For our Gentile years, it means nothing. But if you put on your Jewish years because you are a completed Jew, if you put that on, now you understand. Oh, now I get it. Now I get the story of the, uh, of the ten virgins. Now I get the story of the cup of the new covenant. Now I get it. Why? Because 
we need to understand our Jewish stump, our Jewish roots, because we don't have another religion. It's only one. It's God's religion. We've been planted into that stump, and everything that we know comes from that stump. And if anybody else, no matter who it is, Pope or Archbishop of Canterbury or some other bishop of whoever, whatever, we don't care who it is. If they come up with another story, let them keep their story. You walk away because this is the truth. And all of scriptures chime this truth. All of it. Now, if you show different, take a look. Look at it. It's for you to go dig in and take a look. And so this is what is happening in the story of Joseph and in the story of um, Mary. Because notice he says that uh, he wanted to put him away. Let's look at verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. You wouldn't understand, we wouldn't understand verse, what verse 19 is telling us unless we knew this, that betrothal is pretty much a sealed covenant. They are like husband and wife. Just that they're not living together, he's going to prepare a place, she's getting herself ready and making herself pretty. That's what's happening. So the betrothal has taken place and then Joseph says, uh, this particular event has taken place. And uh, he's found to have, she's found to carry a baby. But he doesn't know how. How did Mary have a baby? Um, he hadn't, she hadn't known a man. How is that possible? So Joseph says, you know, he didn't want to make a public spectacle of Mary. Uh, he being a just man. Uh, the comment shows that even though they were not formally married, in other words, the marriage like we know it, um, Joseph was married from the Jewish perspective they were married and he says being a just man not wanting to Joseph did not want to put her uh, in a bad situation and by the way if the world knew that she was pregnant do you know what the law uh, commands what the rule is for that she'd be stoned stoned to death uh, Leviticus 2010 uh, the punishment of adultery is uh, death. That's what would come on her. So Joseph is saying, I don't want any of that. I'll just quietly let her go and I'll mind my own business to put her away secretly. Because she thought that she was up to no good and she had a baby now. We don't know how and whatnot. In verse 20, while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. Notice your wife, not your fiance, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Um, first of all, an angel. We don't know who. Perhaps it is uh, Gabriel because it was Gabriel who announced the same to Mary and Zachariah. This is a dream. But Joseph is bothered by the news and the just decision that he's being forced to take. He, it, it didn't sit well with him that he had to, all of this mess had come along. And notice how the angel refers to Joseph as the son of David. His reference, why does he refer to uh, Joseph the son of David? He's referring to the lineage. 
legal lineage of the son of David. That which is conceived of you is of the Holy Spirit. It seems that Mary had not told Joseph that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Uh, that Holy Spirit part was not told to Joseph. Um, there is no explanation of how this has happened other than we know in Luke uh, how this happened. Uh, Luke um, in uh, one thirty, Luke one thirty-five. You, we can read more about it. But let's read Isaiah seven. You, you've heard this portion before. Isaiah seven eleven to 7, uh, fourteen. Can somebody read that? Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Azad said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. It is not enough to try the patience of men. Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel. Amen. This is the portion that he's so... In, so he's prophesying, and we'll see that in the next verse. You will see that portion there. And he says, for he will save his people. He shall call him Jesus, and he shall, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now that to us, it seems just like a sentence. But let's just peel that a little bit and see what it says. Jesus is the Greek of Yeshua. Yeshua is a short form of Yahushua. Yehovah Shua means Yehovah Shua means saves. So Yehovah Shua is the short form of Yehovah Shua is Yeshua, or what in English we say Joshua. And that's how that Yehovah Shua is become Jesus in Greek. Otherwise, if we were reading in Hebrew, we would have said Yeshua. Yeshua is Yehoah Shua. In other words, Yehoah saves. And that's what he's saying. For he will say, call him Jesus because he's good. Call him Yeshua because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22. So all this was done, it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with birth, and shall bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel. That's that portion. Remember um, that uh, Moses, um, Matthew is constantly referring to the Old Testament, uh, and you're going to hear this again, that it might be fulfilled. You're going to hear that many times in Matthew's gospel, that it might be fulfilled. Matthew's whole objective is to say that this is Yeshua, uh, Yehovah Shua, in whom is, uh, is the Messiah. So you're going to see a lot of that. It might be fulfilled all through uh, Moses, I'm sorry, through Matthew's uh, gospel. Now, there are many controversies. Now, controversies are nonsensical to be, uh, me personally, they're nonsensical controversies that have been cooked up by so-called critics. That is, uh, who are these critics, by the way? They are really, they are university level, university class eggheads. They sit there and just talk about these kinds of things without ever looking at it from the scriptural point of view, from a Holy Spirit point of view. They call themselves criticism. In other words, take out the holy and just criticize birth, birth, no, uh, based on text. 
but scriptures, all of scriptures, Holy Spirit inspired. What can you do if you take out the Holy Spirit and say, okay, I'm just going to read the text. And I'm going to make sense out of the text. That's what these eggheads do. Um, and so here's one of them. Um, the One of them is that, oh, well, this whole thing about the virgin, the one that Anne read, uh, the Isaiah 7 portion, uh, that really means, it really doesn't mean virgin. It just means a young maid. And so then, geez, there was nothing new about it. And so the argument that that really does not showing anything about Emmanuel is just Jesus was born to a young woman. Now, what is so miraculous about a child bo being born to a young a young maid? There's nothing miraculous. The miraculousness is the fact that a virgin was born, a virgin uh, gave birth to a young child. That would be miraculous. Having a child born to a young maid means nothing. So they argue that the word that they use in Isaiah is Alma, which means a young maid, and so there's nothing miraculous. Uh, that's not the truth. The Actually, the word being used there is virgin. Um, and so that is what is the miraculous part. Now, the greater and the more stupider argument um, that is in the scriptures, it's non-biblical, and you will see it in the church, is the fact that how is it possible for a sinless God to be born into a sinful woman? Oh, no, that cannot happen. So let me come up with a solution. Let's make the woman sinless also. How about that? And so they made this woman who carried the Christ a sinless Redemptrix, if you remember that word. It's not biblical. This is what happens when religion is unhinged from scriptures. Completely unhinged. So here we have, um, because of that argument, it's to me when I hear that, I'm reminded of how um, Abraham and Sarah tried to help God along with that birth, with that childbirth. You remember that? You remember how Abraham and Sarah assisted God with having a child? It's that same kind of crazy talk uh, with this redemptrix model or this sinless vessel that carried the sinless God. Um, in the case of that, in the case of Abraham and Sarah, they brought in a Hagar. And we're still fighting that battle to this very day. Likewise, this whole sinless vessel called Mary has to be sinless in order to conceive um, is a cooked up, man-made, unhinged view and has become a doctrine in certain churches. The miracle, the miracle in all of this is that a sinless God came to live among sinful men. That is the miracle. How could a sinless God, and that is what blows the mind, how is it that a sinless God can become a kinsman redeemer? That is the greatest miracle. But if the vessel was sinless also, 
first of all, we know any of all flesh is sin. So that includes Mary. By creating these kinds of theories, we've completely unhinged ourselves from the gospel, from the scriptures. And we are coming to a stage in human history where God's going to bring us back. God's going to cause all of this garbage. This, this is basically human traditions. He's going to throw that away and he's going to cause the true church, the true ecclesia to come back to him. And so that is the thing. The greater part of it is that God was born. God with us, that is Emmanuel in Isaiah 11 that we just read, was born amongst sinful creatures to save us. Anyway, enough of that. Verse 24, then Joseph being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took him his wife and did not know her till she brought forth her firstborn. And he called his name Jesus. Joseph did not put on a propeller hat to try and figure out the scientific explanation of all of this. It was simple obedience. The angel came and said, this is how it is. And he just obeyed that. Mary remained a virgin. You notice here, Mary remained a virgin till after her firstborn. Mary and Joseph went on to have many other children after Christ Jesus' birth. You can read, I don't have time tonight, but you can read Matthew 13, 53 to 56. You will see that they had many other children. Um, James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, or Jude, and he had many sisters also. And we see that in Matthew 13, uh, 53 to 56. And then you can also see, uh, you can also see in Galatians, uh, Paul referring to his visit back to Jerusalem. This is what he says, uh, Galatians 1, 18 to 19. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with them for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. That's the same James that you are seeing uh, in Matthew 13, 53. So from that sense, they had many other children. Now there's another fake news story that goes around saying that she remained a perpetual virgin. That is a fake news fairy tale. Scripture does not say that. Scripture says very clearly, and there are many events where it says that they had other children. They went on to live normal lives. And he, his name was called Yeshua. And we spoke about the Yeshua part already. Jesus saves. So this was the birth from Matthew's point of view. Uh, now there are a lot more events that took place around this. Uh, but Matthew is focused on this particular thing. That is, that this is Emmanuel. This is the one that Isaiah prophesied about. The virgin shall be with birth and he shall be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. And that is again, you know, in Luke, uh, the gospel writer, uh, of Luke, he narrates more about the God with us theme. But in this, um, Matthew just leaves it at this place of demand.
That was a time of great learning about the traditions surrounding the Jewish marriage and its significance to our own salvation. It brings clarity to some of the parables of Jesus and God's plan for the church. On that note, we come to the end of chapter 1 of Matthew's Gospel. Thank you for listening and hope you were blessed by the study. Do join us for the next episode as we start chapter 2.